Well, let's, let's dive into this pretty quickly. By the way, you're loving the heat. Um, it, uh, uh, I think it's supposed to get up to like 97, 98 today. It hasn't gone over 100 degrees yet, although they say the wind chill today will be more than 100 degrees. Um, and uh, uh, I, I, this is the time of year in Oklahoma when, when you go to Walmart, you look for that one tree in the parking lot to park under, you know? I, I did that even at the church this morning, and it, it wasn't casting any kind of a shadow, but I parked there just in case, you know? I did, I swear to you, I saw a fire hydrant chasing a dog this week. No, I didn't really. I, I shouldn't swear thing. What did you say? Be watching a cartoon. Yeah. Uh, it would be a cartoon if that happened, wouldn't it? So, Estella, is this is not your week of all the work. It's coming up in September, right? All the General Assembly stuff you've got to do. I've been getting notes from you, so. And you're going to be getting a lot more. Okay. <laughs> you're reading your Am I truant? Am I truant? Am I, am I okay? I talked to Anderson this week. They said I'm okay, that I got in, you know. Okay. All right. Uh, Estella runs the Church of God State Office, and uh, therefore she becomes kind of the Holy Spirit for me occasionally. So that's the deal. Okay, let's go to Romans 5. I'm going to give you a little bit of background. Rhonda, is our, is our feed working now? Okay. Because it was, I mean, unfortunately, I'm able to see myself. That's not a good thing, but I'm on here. So, all right. It might have been pilot error. Might have been pilot error. Okay. Okay. Well, I'm not gonna, not gonna go there. Okay. We've been walking a little bit through um, uh, the book of Romans, Paul's letter to the church at Rome, and we've said lots of things about this. I, I put in the kind of the opening paragraph of your outline today. Um, uh, Paul's letter to the Romans is what some would call rich. Uh, by that I mean, it's hard to go through even one verse, even sometimes uh, one half of a verse, without something just incredibly profound and necessary and helpful and soul-stirring. It, it's often challenging to understand. It's so deep and theological. But it's rich in what Paul calls my gospel. I want you to look at a couple of places. So if your Bible's like mine, turn back one leaf to 2.16. 2.16. On the day when, according to my gospel, God will judge the secrets of men through Christ Jesus. And then go to the right to chapter 16. 16.25. He uses that same verbiage. Now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ. According to the revelation of the mystery. Which has been kept secret for long ages past. So the idea here is not that the gospel is the story of Paul. But this is the story that he tells over and over and over again. And you and I are going to deal with today this wonderful truth that eternal life is not, it is not inherited. It's mercious, mercifully and graciously given. Um, and we receive it by faith. So uh, it's probably, I think at least, the most challenging of Paul's letters to understand. Um, it is, 
in, he quotes in 117, he quotes from Habakkuk 2. Isn't that an interesting place? Uh, how many of us have read a lot of Habakkuk lately? But um, he quotes in 117 from Habakkuk 2.4 this thought of the righteous will live by faith. And that becomes the theme of this whole book. Uh, included um, in this is Old Testament background for the Christian message. We actually looked at that uh, last week when we looked at um, his teaching about the faith of Abraham. So we know that this idea that, that um, salvation comes, that eternal life comes through belief in, through faith in, uh, God is not a new idea. It's actually an, an, even an Old Testament idea. And this idea that eternal life can't be earned by works, although works are important. Uh, it's not inherited by ancestry. It, eternal life, that life of salvation is find, found only in a faith that trusts God to save us. We looked at Abraham and his belief in that last week. Nothing new. Uh, it's going to be central in the pre-Israel period, in the nation of Israel itself, and certainly in the church. So having established these facts in the first four chapters of Romans, Paul begins chapter 5 with the word, therefore. Now, as you're reading the Bible, by the way, anybody got a word other than therefore? Mine says therefore. If you're reading the Bible, or probably any other book, if there's a therefore, you probably need to kind of try to figure out what it's therefore. there for, okay? <laughs> so he's been talking for four chapters. We've looked at for a couple of three weeks here about what Paul is kind of setting this pattern. Therefore, okay, then in the next several chapters, he's going to talk about the implications of what he's been teaching. So let's read a bit of it. Steve Blair, you might get, mind to get us started and read uh, the first five verses of Romans 5? Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. Okay, so if you were to, one of the big words that we're going to deal with in this chapter, and really in the whole book, is the word justified or justification. How do you understand that word to apply? Just as if it didn't happen. You know, it's interesting. I've heard that a lot. Just as if I've never sinned. But it's almost better than that because I have, and it's been forgiven. You know what I mean, Dan? I, I agree with that, and I've heard that a lot. It, it's a play on words, just as if I'd never sinned. Somebody else, what's your thought on justification? To be declared righteous. To be declared righteous. Isn't that interesting? Not by something I've done, but by faith. Okay? Um, I've I tried to think of it in, term, in digital terms. If I justify a document, everything kind of aligns. 
you know. Um, um, so think about a few of those thoughts here. Um, but basically the idea here is that God himself has healed the rift that came between God and mankind. God has himself healed the rift. When did the rift take place? On the cross. Well, the healing of the rift took place on the cross. When did the rift take place? It took place in the third chapter of the Bible. It's interesting that it goes back that far. You read about this, you read about creation, chapter one, you read about this idyllic place, an idyllic life, and by the third chapter of the Bible, man has goofed it all up. And so God, from that point on, has been working toward the point that Paul's talking about here in, in Romans 5 in particular, of healing the rift between himself and a sinful man. So, Paul's word, therefore, signals a couple of things. First of all, we've been justified by faith. That's a summary of the first four chapters that we've already kind of studied some of. We've been justified by faith. That kind of summarizes those first four chapters. And then looking forward, he's going to say, we now have peace with God. That's the message of the chapters that follow. Isn't that a hopeful message? We're going to talk about hope a little bit today. We can have peace with God. I've had a couple of days lately. This might be a good practice for you. Maybe it's only needed for me, but I don't think so. I've gotten to the end of my day. Okay. I've got a book. I usually have a book I'm reading in the morning, and I have another book that I'm reading in the evening. So there's one in the bed, bedroom, and there's one in my study where I work in the morning. And before I pick up that book, I've been asking God, okay, Lord, how would I do today? That's a little bit of a dangerous question. Don't ask the Holy Spirit to tell you where you got off track if you don't want him to tell you. But it's been very helpful to me to say, or maybe even on the drive home, how'd we do today, Lord? Did, did I follow what you told me to do? Did I obey? Where did I get off track? Where, where was even that which I thought, attitude that I had that I didn't express? What do I need to confess to you today in that. Because I tell you, at this point in my life, peace with God is something that I really dearly, dearly want. Moment by moment, day by day, instant by instant. So, the rest of this book is going to tell you and me how to have peace with God. I can't imagine. Uh, did anybody like me back in the 1960s or 1970s pick up a little tract you know that word? We don't see tracts anymore. Everything's on, online. But uh, uh, the Graham organization produced a tract by Dr. Graham, by Billy Graham, called Peace with God. I rem I'll never forget that. How to have peace with God. I just want that. By the way, I also want peace with Rhonda. So, okay. God is surrendering your whole life to him. It's, it certainly has a lot to do with that, Nadine. Everything up and put it in God's hands yeah. because we try to fix things ourselves right. and we mess it up. But if we trust God, then when things are going wrong, we still got to trust him. It's funny because there are times when I, I struggle to have peace with another person. But I know how to have peace with God. I, and, and this book kind of helps me with that. So 
Look at verse 2. It is faith in Jesus that gives us access to God's grace. Now, there are two parts to this second verse, and I want to camp out just for a minute on the A part. Through whom we also have obtained our introduction by faith into his grace in which we stand. Um, um, Janie and Mike, are you guys here today? I didn't see you today, so they may, they may be out of town today. When Janie and I were doing um, Evangelism Explosion, there was an acrostic that was used there to help us understand grace, and I've never found anything much better. God's riches at Christ's expense. God's riches at Christ's expense. That's a great way to remember that word grace, isn't it? Undeserved, I couldn't earn it if I tried. God's riches at Christ's expense. That's kind of the idea here. Faith in Jesus gives me access to that greatest of all gifts. Now, I ask a question here in my notes. How does the kind of hope that's talked about in the second part of this verse, let me read it again. We exult in hope of the glory of God. How does that hope differ from the kind of hope that the world may talk about? Because their hope is based in themselves, finding that hope the rest of their lives until they find Christ. We don't have to do that. That void has been filled to try to work ourselves into some hope, some peace, and some love. that's so good, Laura. You know, it's interesting. Paul must think the issue of hope is important because he uses the word hope 17 times in this book. 17 times. You have a hope. Uh, this, the, the hope of his glory is kind of this thing. But the world, when it talks about hope, it, talk, it seems to talk about more like a forlorn hope. You know? Well, I hope so. You and I probably said that. Um, uh, something like, um, um, uh, well, um, hope against hope, you know, that kind of, that expression. And hope, that kind of hope is not hope at all, not that's described here. This is a confidence, confidence. A confident hope in an everlasting God. I've I've termed this whole study, this whole series, a confident hope in an unshakable God. Nadine? Yeah, faith is the substance of things hopeful. Both of those words are used in that verse, aren't they? The evidence is that you don't see it. It's interesting, but I've got it anyway. Even if I don't see it, I have it. I got to trust in the Lord with all that heart and lean not to your own understanding. Our little finite minds, we try to justify things we want it to be instead of really completely dependent on God. If God said, I can believe him, he's going to heal me, I should believe every word he said. That's what Abraham did. He told him to get out of the country and go to a place where he's going to show him. We looked at that last week, didn't we? Yeah. And he had enough faith to trust God and leave his family and go somewhere he'd never been before. But he had a hope that when he got there, something else was going to take place. Now... Here's the deal, because I think verse 3 is going to help us to deal with this. The problem is, 
what's talked about in verse 3. The problem is not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance. The idea here is it seems likely that this side of that confident hope, we're going to have trials. Seems likely. Let's let's look at a couple of these. Uh, would somebody go, John? Can I get you to go to John sixteen thirty three? John sixteen thirty three. I need somebody to go to Psalm thirty seven seven. Who'll go there? Ellie, you go there. Psalm thirty seven seven. Okay. Um, and um, I'm going to read a couple of these out of of um, the Book of Romans. So I'm going to go to two seven. To those who by perseverance and doing good seek for glory and honor and immortality, eternal life. So that's um, uh, that idea here is perseverance. Okay, same word. By the way, the, this word is um, only used by Paul. It's used only seven times by him uh, here. Um, this word character that we're going to look at here in just a minute. Okay, so two seven. Uh, 828, you and I kind of know a little bit about. We've probably heard quite a bit. We know that God causes all things to work together for good. Those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. Um, uh, there's, there's that one. So we kind of got this idea all the way through here that we're going to have trials. Um, uh, it's kind of the idea of uh, a chain begins here in verse 3 of Character-building things that are going to happen. Okay, John, uh, John sixteen thirty-three. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I okay, I'm doing something wrong here. I'll try to be still. Maybe that did it. Okay, so. You know what I love about this? I've got a little Italian friend who's in Italy right now. He's coming back to play another season of soccer here in a little bit. And uh, he's just a delight in my life. And um, Indri um, can speak a lot better English than I can speak Italian. Okay, does that work? Okay. I don't know what other languages he speaks, but I know he speaks really good English. And he'll say to me, when he's talking to me about something that's going on in his life, he'll, he'll preface a lot of his sentence with, I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to lie. And I'm thinking, where did he pick that up? You know, he heard that somewhere. I'm not going to lie. Well, I don't ever anticipate Andrew to lie to me, but he'll preface a lot of his sentence with, I'm not going to lie. You know what's true about this? Jesus did not ever lie to you. Jesus, when he called you to follow him, didn't say, everything's going to be rosy. Hey, I tell you the truth. And he's saying it here. And what he's saying is, in this world, you will have trouble. Don't be dismayed about that, he says, because I've overcome all that. That's the hope. That's the confident hope. When I look around this room, I could, I could just talk about trial after trial after struggle after struggle. But Paul says all of that begins to build character. Now that's verse 4. Okay, Character. The development of character here. Um, this word that's only used seven times in the New Testament, it's only used by Paul. Um, it all, it's translated in 2 Corinthians 2.9 as test. It's translated as proof in 2 Corinthians 9.13 and 13.3. 
And um, in, in Philippians 2.22, it's, it's translated in uh, 2 Corinthians 8.2 as trial. All those are the same word. It says you're going to build. This is part of building character, he says here. So the development of character. Look, look at the verse. Look at verse 4. Perseverance, proven character, proven character, hope. Who got, uh, you had Psalm 37, 7? Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not get upset because of one who is successful in his way. Because of the person who carries out wicked schemes. Don't you wish the word patience and perseverance were kind of left out of the Bible? But what is it that it produces? It produces character. And character, Paul says, is where hope comes from. It's going to be that the development of character leads to hope. It's that kind of idea here. And we're going to have to read the next verse 5 from the New American Standard because I think some of the other translations leave us a little short. Somebody read it from from your translation, verse 5. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Hope does not put us to shame. Cindy, what translation are you reading? NIV. Okay. That's what I thought NIV would say. Here's here's how it says it in the New American Standard. Hope does not disappoint. Don't you love that? How many of us in this room this week have not been disappointed about one thing or another. Yeah. <laughs> you haven't been disappointed this week? Okay. Sorry, dude. You're unusual. Okay. Yeah, I want to, talk to you. <laughs> yeah, I want to follow you around for a day or two because you follow me around. It's, uh, occasionally, I get disappointed. Wayne? As long as you keep your expectations low, you won't be disappointed. <laughs> but that's true. Keep the expectations low and you won't be disappointed. But the truth is that's not what's being sold to us here. It is a fervent expectation. It's a glorious expectation. Hope does not disappoint. What I put on your outline here is it's not foolish to place our hope in God's love. This is not the kind of hope that the world would say, uh, how's it going? And some might say to you, well, one can only hope. Right? Uh Uh-uh. This is a fervent hope, a solid hope, a confident hope. And that hope will never disappoint. He didn't lie to you. Jesus said, with Indri's accent, I'm not going to lie. You're going to have trials. You're going to have trouble. But I've overcome that. Those in the valley must suffer persecution. I, I think it's, it's one of the avenues through which we get there. But the way you do it is just putting your whole trust in God and leaning on Him. Uh, uh, Dr. John Stanley say. Obey God and leave all the consequences up to you. <laughs> That's pretty and, good and advice. You would, whatever God tells us in his word, we got to do that, even when it don't look right, because the world believes in what they can see. But we have to believe when we can't see. We still got to go on as Job did. You know,
know, isn't the challenge? You've said it a couple times, but isn't the challenge for Abraham the same challenge it was, is for us in believing in a God that I can't see? But I, I sense him at work. Okay, let's go, let's go to verse 6. John, can I get you to read 6, 7, and 8 from Romans 5? You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a, a righteous man, though for a good man, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Uh, guys, this couldn't be any better, right? Somebody go to Galatians 4.4. 4. I want to start. Rhonda, you got it? But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, <laughs> born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law. This wasn't random. It wouldn't have just kind of happened. It wasn't once upon a time. It was when the right time came. Remember Johnny Hall singing a song about this? When the fullness of time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, to save you. Now, what we've got to deal with here is this wasn't random. The innocent was murdered. The only innocent one ever was cruelly murdered. I found myself writing a word when I was thinking about how do I describe this? How do I get to the, to the nut of this gospel right here? Um, and the word is it's an interesting word. At the center of the Bible's message is this truth. Jesus died for the ungodly. Now, the, the issue is here. That is, you ready for my little word? Yeah. The crux of the gospel. You know where the word crux comes from? Crucifixion. It's the same word that crucible comes from. It's the same idea that, that um, 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 crossroads comes from. You know, the crux of the gospel is this. That the one who never got it wrong, the one who lived the perfect life, the only innocent one who ever walked this planet, died for the ungodly, and that includes me. What a wonderful, what a wonderful thought here. So let's think about this for a second, because verse 7 that John read a minute ago talks about a good person and a righteous person. What's the difference between a good person and a righteous person? Hmm? Okay, certainly, but okay, take that off the table for now. When you and I, though, think about it in English terms, we might think of a righteous person uh, as uh, kind of holier than thou, right? So, so uh, Paul says, nobody's probably going to die for that guy. They might occasionally die. For a good person, somebody who does good things, much more likely that a person that that somebody would choose to die, uh, literally, kind of the idea of take a bullet. For a good person, maybe not a righteous person. Okay, that's kind of the thought I think in verse in verse um, seven here. Uh, that's kind of this thought here. Um, 
I've watched a couple of times um, the epic movie Saving Private Ryan. Disturbing? Yes. Rightly disturbing. And I don't know if you remember what the, the if, if I get it right, the gist of the, of the story is that a young lieutenant, played by Tom Hanks, who was so involved in, in the development of this, this young lieutenant is charged with finding a man that's on the, uh, a young man that's on the front lines of battle. I think he was played by um, Matt Damon. Because his brothers had been killed in battle and they're trying to save him so that his family isn't totally wiped out. I think I've got it close to right. <coughs> what I remember is that kind of one of the climactic scenes of this whole movie, when, when Matt Damon's character, who is Private Ryan, has, is headed back from the front. And lieutenant, the lieutenant played by... Hanks is shot, mortally wounded. In the waning statement of his life, he pulls Matt Damon up close and he says, you better earn this. Remember that? You better earn this. You know? I can't earn what Jesus has done for me. 5-8 ought to be memorized by every Christian. If you haven't yet, consider doing that. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. Why we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus didn't pull me up close and say, you better earn this. That's right. The idea here is, I'm glad that Jesus didn't wait until I was righteous. It just doesn't work that way. Do what? You never will be. I never will be in that context, Dan. Now, let's read the last little section. Cindy, you mind to go to verse 9 and read 9, 10, and 11? Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son... How much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Okay, I want you to make your way, in just a minute we'll get there, to 1 Corinthians, um, uh, 1 Corinthians 15. We're going to look at verse 17 and 18 in just a minute. But, but kind of keep your finger here, Romans 5. So the idea here is, beginning of verse 9, that the blood of Jesus paid our sin debt. And by that, we are counted. Dan, I'm never going to be righteous, but I'm counted as righteous. Amen. You know, I've got, got this tag on me that says, he's not all that perfect, but he's righteous. He's with me. I'm counted as righteous. There's hope for me. And verse 10 and 11 kind of tell me that salvation brings us back to an ongoing relationship with God through faith in Jesus. Since he lives, I can live with him. I can live in him. But the question remains, and this is where we'll end up today. What, had ha what would have happened if Jesus had only died? Now, don't brand me a heretic for asking that question because that only is a huge word. 
Because he did die for you. He died for me. 5'8". He died for me while I was still a sinner. He died for you the same way. But what if he had only died? I think this has a direct bearing on this issue of hope. And what I'm going to share with you about despite what we hear, there's no need to fear the future. Okay. Now go with me, if you will, to 1 Corinthians 15. I want to read verse 17 and 18. In this kind of companion book, Paul is going to deal with what if Jesus had not risen from the dead? And it's beautiful. If Christ has not, this verse 17 and 18 from 1 Corinthians 15, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. Now that's a bold thing. If Christ hasn't been raised, then your faith is worthless. You're still in your sins. Then those who also have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. Think about people that you and I right in this room are counting on them being where we know they are because they went on before us. Paul says, no resurrection? Uh-uh. That's not going to happen. The idea here is our future has securely been... Uh, boy, I was kind of tied up on this word securely, wasn't it? Our future has securely been secured by the price that's paid for our peace. His life His everlasting life offers me one. He is no longer dead, but he is risen, as he said. The cross makes it all possible by grace. But the empty tomb allows me to live in him and have this hope. Our future has been secured by the price paid for our peace. That is is my hope. And the Apostle Paul is going to say here, he's going to say, if he hasn't been raised, my faith isn't really worth all that much. Okay, that's where we're going to stop. We're going to go to 10 next week and keep talking about this. Nadine. Yeah. When he died before he was raised, he went down to hell and got the keys of death. He led the captivities captive. The captive, yeah. Captivity captive. That's really a wonderful thought, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, bless you. Thank you, guys. Join us on Facebook. I'll see you next week in Romans 10. Have a great Sunday.